0: Good morning. We're going to go into scripture reading today. We are in the book of John um, and the passage today will start in John chapter 1. We'll read verses 6 through 8 and then we will hop over to verses 19 through 34. If you'd like to follow along with the physical Bible, there are Bibles in the pews in front of you. John chapter 1, starting in verse 6. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. That's pretty epic music to go in the background of this. Wow. If you want to keep going, that sounds great. Bagpipes. I don't think John was Scottish, but we'll keep going. All right. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now hop over to verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Finally, they said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain, is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Amen.
1: Good morning. Good to see you all after after some time. Well, I just returned from India after being there for six weeks. Uh, going to the villages, preaching the gospel, training pastors, and very hot weather. It's like 110 degrees in high humidity. That really gave me high humility. <laughs> yeah, there were times when I was passed out after teaching. Uh, whole day from morning till evening. And then I was taking rest in a pastor's house, you know, and that is like, uh, you know, sauna room. It's like blowing the same hot wind. And then after two hours they come, pastor, get up. We need to go for a gospel meeting in the evening. Then I was still dizzy, you know, go there and That is how I spent my days, like you know, until 11:30 the meeting, and then drive again two hours back home, go to bed 1 a.m., and then get up in the morning, like seven o'clock. People are waiting to talk to me. Uh, That was the kind of ministry that uh, uh, I was able to do because of your prayers. Uh, There were times when people asked me, "Do you really have a family?" (laughs) Because they thought. I don't have family, that's why I'm spending enough time in India, like two hours or two months every time I go and then spend there. Um, and some people ask, do you really have children? I said, yeah, I do have small children. How do you leave them for two months? Well, I really want to thank my wife for that. You know, I really want to thank my wife and family who rejoice in what I do, they never complain. And we are all uh, on God's team. And uh, Uh, I traveled uh, to five different states and uh, uh, trained pastors, over 700 pastors. I trained along with my team, and it was a great blessing. And in fact, the training we provided would at least impact uh, 110,000 people in their congregations. So uh, why I say that, um, uh, that impact is not because of me, because of you. You are sitting here and you are in spirit serving the Lord in India through me, through your support. And some of you have provided uh, funds for helping those uh, victims, fire victims in Mumbai. And we opened a help center there and helped several uh, families with uh, um, household items. And also, as I said, uh, the weather is so hot uh, you feel thirsty every five minutes you know, if you walk outside. So we opened uh, water booths uh, across two different states like Andhra Pradesh and Telangana uh, where people can pass by and then drink water and move on, you know, like mostly pedestrians and those who go by bicycle. And, uh, uh, you know, some of, uh, some of the booths, uh, they provide uh, buttermilk so that you know, it'll help them to cool their body. And it is really impactful. Last year, in one of those regions, about 40,000 people drank water from those booths. And uh, literally, all these people have uh, an opportunity to read gospel message written on these boards, around the boards. And also there were spiritual conversations. And again, I just wanted to thank you for all that you do, supporting missions and impacting the world. And without you, we can't do. And High Point supports about 37 plus missionaries. And uh, they do it because, you know, because that is the need and we need to really uh, minister to people. Well as I speak uh, today about our uh, true missional identity, I really wanted to ask us uh, not to categorically listen, but rather, you know, uh, you listen the whole gospel as it is so that we can uh, somehow see what the Lord wants us to do. Well, we have been studying uh, the book of John so that we can grow deeper in our faith, and also grew up stronger in Jesus Christ. Well, in the text we read today, John was in the wilderness, calling out people, come and repent, the kingdom of God is near. You know, I want you to read the Gospel of John several times before you hop into any other book, particularly when you are a seeker or you are uh, really dreaming to follow Jesus, you know, step by step, I just want you to literally uh, read the book of John several times, over and over again, at least five times, okay? Because uh, book of John really provides Um, the proof of the divinity of Jesus in a coherent and logical manner. So we all can Grasp what the divinity of Christ that John was trying to explain to us by reading the book of John. Now, coming back to the text, when John was baptizing, there were many Jews that came forward to be baptized, but there were some Pharisees and Sadducees who said, We don't need to be repenting, we don't need to be baptized because we have the privilege of being the children of Abraham. On the other hand, there were some. Jewish leaders in Jerusalem who were maintaining their religion They were threatened by John's repentance movement and they sent some people to John To question his identity and religious authority. Who are you? Why are you baptizing? What is your identity? What is your spiritual authority? And probably John was silent when they were questioning and keep dipping people one after another. (laughs) And then they begin to ask more, are you Elijah? Are you the messiah that we have been waiting for? Are you the prophet? And he said, no, I am not the messiah, I'm not Elijah, I'm not a prophet either. I'm just the voice of one who is calling out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord." And then he said, I have come to baptize you in water, but you need to wait for someone who is coming after me, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Well, in all his answers, He did not say who he was, but he said what he was. Are you getting me? He did not say who he was, but he was saying what he was. Because he gave them those kind of answers because that is what defined him. His missional identity which defined his existence. That is what he told most of us. We all live by a different identity than our true DNA as the children of God, even in today's context. Now, think about how John the Evangelist, John the Disciple, John the Apostle, the author of the book of John, introduces John the Baptist. Don't be confused when I say John the Baptist and John the Disciple. There are two people in this book. So when John the Apostle, the author of the book of John, was introducing John the Baptist, he does not introduce him with his pedigree or history, family history, but rather he calls him or he tells to us that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. What a great introduction to have. He tells There was a man sent from God, an ambassador from God. Well, he begins to talk about the very purpose that John was sent down to earth. And he said he has come to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. Well, The author himself was the disciple of John the Baptist before he became a disciple of Jesus Christ. So the author knows John the Baptist from close, how John the Baptist was so zealous for God and how he dedicated himself to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Now, John the Baptist was a unique man of God and was the only man in the Bible who was filled with the Holy Spirit while in mother's womb. And when angel promised to his mother that you're going to have a child he said I mean the angel said that child that you're going to have will become great in the sight of people. Well John the Baptist ministered only for three years not long time and in fact he did not perform any miracles not even prophesied anything new anything interesting all that he did was he just faithfully represented Jesus to come yet he touched thousands and thousands and thousands of people in those regions, and even King Herod feared because of the lifestyle he maintained because of his missional identity that went with his righteousness and holiness. Now, if you come to Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus was talking about John as if John was among those born to women. There was no one greater than John the Baptist himself. He was referring to John to be the greatest. Think about how many great people we know. You, know. you know, at the turn of millennia, what happened? People published 100 influential people in the century. They talked about people from science. They talked about people from uh, the mathematics and other fields. And then we considered great for that century. But now Jesus is saying, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. Well, how he could be great when he did not rule any, 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 any kingdom, not even you know, did any miracles and touched any people or provided any special service to people. But his greatness lies in his office of turning people to God. Now, let me repeat that. His greatness lies in turning people to God. How did he turn people to God? He called people to repentance. He did not compromise with the culture and corruption of his day. He did not. He could have, but he did not. He boldly confronted sin with no regard to positions or titles. He pushed his calling to its limits by rebuking even King Herod, which costed him his own life. Today, we are afraid of calling spade a spade because we just wanted to flow with the culture. And we can't call outrightly what is sin. And even the other thing is that we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings because, you know, if you tell that is sin, they are hurt and then you will lose relationships. But if you are afraid of hurting others, if they are in sin... You are hurting them for eternity Let me repeat that If you feel you are hurting People's feelings when you point out their sin You are actually hurting them for eternity Second, John turned people to God By teaching them how to pray Now, think about it He was teaching people how to pray This is so important Because Jewish people almost forgot the promises of God. They were not expecting a true messiah. That's why they questioned a lot whether Jesus was the true messiah. And here comes John the Baptist. If you wanted to maintain a relationship with God, you need to pray this way. You need to spend time with God this way. Probably he was maintaining a true relationship with God in prayer. So he asked, his disciples to pray and to connect with God so that is how he turned people to God third he turned people to God by pointing to Jesus now this is so important most of the times we don't do this what we do is we turn people to a church we turn people to some personalities so that they will see Jesus in unto them but John did just the opposite he said Here is the Lamb of God, he pointed out towards Jesus. When they said, are you the Messiah, are you a prophet? He could have said yes, he could have taken that glory for himself, but he said no, I am not. And in fact, he even gave away his own disciples. First two disciples, he gave away his own disciples to Jesus. He let those disciples go after the truth. But today we do not do that. We always try to draw the attention to ourselves even when we missionally think of proclaiming Jesus. So what do we do today when we think of John operating his mission in such kind of cultural situation during that time? Today we have to live out our missional identity. If you do not live out our missional identity that means we are not true Christians in other words. So living out our missional identity is more important than maintaining our religious identity. We can be Christian by baptism. We can be Christian by our association with the church. We can be Christian by our membership to a particular denomination. But that is not our missional identity. That is our religious identity. So if you want to really maintain your true Christian identity, you have to make sure your missional DNA shows up. So our missional DNA should define our Christianness. Our work should qualify what we believe, not what we talk about our belief. So we cannot talk about our Christian identity without referring to our missional DNA found in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20 where Jesus commissioned all of us with authority to go out and preach the gospel. But unfortunately, 70% or more never ever present Jesus before others. They never talk about Jesus with others that is the condition of the church today more than seventy percent can you imagine more than seventy percent of this group never talk about Jesus publicly in fact the early christians understood being a christian means being a witness and being a disciple means being a disciple maker that's it being a christian means being a witness the rest of the things we do ceremonial like baptism, coming and taking, you know, membership or putting off involving other things. They're all secondary. Our primary, our primary being as Christians is to witness before people. If you think you are a disciple, you can never be a disciple without being a disciple maker. Are you getting? I know my, my sermons are a little tough. I push. But that is the way we're supposed to. You know, Robert Coleman, the author of the Master Plan of Evangelism, he said, Evangelism is not an optional accessory to our life. I mean, our Christian life. It is not an optional accessory. It is the heartbeat of all that we are called to be and do. It is the heartbeat of Christianity, evangelism, talking about Jesus. It is not that we lack spiritual authority or we lack eloquence or courage or resources to go and present Jesus to others. What is bothering us not to really jump in to talk about Jesus is our self-centeredness. We try to live for ourselves rather than living for others. John lived for others. John was called a burning and a shining light because he did not live for himself but for God. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said of John that John was a burning and a shining light. So we are called to be a burning light, not a shining bulb. I'm kind of differentiating the the electric bulb with the burning light. John was not... not shining his light in a temple settings, but in a wilderness context. To shed light in the wilderness wilderness context, it takes a lot of energy. But in temple, it may be easy, right? Can you take this bulb and put it under the sun outside? Uh, No, you need a lot of watts, a lot of power to really shine it. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And in fact, he told that in the context of the previous verses in which he said his followers had to go through pain and suffering, opposition, insult, all that you have to bear in order to shine before others. In other words, when when Jesus said, you are the light of the world," he was saying, you are a burning light, not a shining bulb. We all wanted, like shining bulb, we we always have switches, where to off and on. But the burning light does not have it. No switch off, as long as the oil is there, it just burns. And another uniqueness with the burning light is that When you burn, the more you burn, the more you shine. And at the same time, when this burning light comes in contact with other lights, what happens? It lights up other lights, right? We do that candle service, right? We always put aside. Can you do with the bulb? So we have come to a point where we have turned to be a shining bulb rather than a burning light. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Paul urges us to be a living sacrifice. It is an exact analogy of a burning light. We are called to be living sacrifice. Can you imagine sacrifice is no more living? Sacrifice is dead but living sacrifice two exact opposite things, you are becoming one. I don't know what kind of sacrifices we do, but we are called out of darkness into his marvelous marvelous light so that we may proclaim his excellences. We will proclaim what? His excellences, can you imagine? you were called out for that only reason. If you're in the church today, the only reason you're in the church today in the light of the gospel to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. But if you fail to do that, I doubt the calling that you have. I doubt the reason you're sitting here. And again, Jesus said, do not hide your light. We do... Hide our life, because, you know, can you, you, can you hide, you know, let me give my dad's story. You know, my dad was a kind of very tough Pentecostal pastor, so he told people not to smoke, okay? He said, I'm not advocating, don't blame me if you're a smoker, right? But he said, don't smoke, so he used to really tell them, don't ever smoke. So one day he went to the market, and one of the members of his church, was smoking. And as soon as he saw my dad, he took that cigarette, put it in his bag, <laughs> right? So so my dad went there, he said, praise the Lord, Pastor. Oh, praise the Lord, how are you? I'm doing well. Then he was seeing side, on his side, his smoke was coming up. <laughs> And then he was trying to turn around to hide the smoke. You can't hide the smoke. My dad asked, what's going on here? I said, no sir, nothing, everything is good. What is this smoke here? Then, you know, he opened the bag and he was trying to quench. Your burning light cannot be choked, do you know that? So cigarette is something. Now e cigarettes, you can do that. Right? E-cigarettes, you can put it in a bag, but can you put it with the real cigarette? You cannot, because it will burn your bag or ultimately it will burn you if you still hang on to it. So here, Jesus said do not hide your light because there is a danger of hiding that light because it is a burning light, not a shining bulb. Now, if you are trying to hide your light in the boxes of shame, fear, discomfort, self-esteem, dignity, and pride, you are not worthy of the kingdom of God. I'm sorry to be tough on you. We do that, we hide our light. Our light is a shining bulb. That is the reason we are able to hide. So you you need to trade your shining bulb with the burning light. I don't know when you will do that, but before I leave the church, you should do it. Not today, but at least take your time. So we are not called to be crypto-Christians. We are not called to be crypto-Christians. If you do not confess Jesus on earth, and he will not confess about us in heaven, that is what the word of God tells us. Some of us try to shine in the church, That is beautiful, right? I mean, I'm not blaming that. And some of us shine our light in the company of of other believers because they want the appreciation. But when they go out, they switch it off because that is not a burning light. So we should make sure the brightness of our Lord be more visible in none through us rather than our own light. If Jesus is living in you, if you are holding the light in you, you can't hide it because it will shine automatically. But if your light is not true light, like a shining bulb that you can switch on and off when you want it, That is not really a light that he was referring to. Jesus tells you have to hold your light so high so that it can permeate every bit of darkness around you. You hold your light so high, that means you cannot be self-centered, keep the light to yourself like Jonah has done, like many other Jewish people who were called to be the light, but they failed to be the light to the world because they want to keep God to themselves. So can we let the light that has been given to us be shown before others? And it takes a bit of effort to hold your light so high. That's what I do. Not for living. I hold my light so high up not for living. I am not a missionary for living, I'm telling you. When I started my missionary work, I was not even paid, and I didn't even know the concept of fundraising at all. So we are all called, regardless of our identity, the secular identity, we are called to hold up high the light that Jesus has freely given to us. I want to tell you the story of Nagaland here. Nagaland is one of the northeastern states of India, and Nagas, the people of the tribe are called Nagas. They were animists and headhunters, lived in darkness for several, several centuries, and they had their own uh, unique religious practices. In the mid-nineteenth century, Miles Bronson, an American Baptist missionary from USA, took his light, the gospel light, to shine before those people. He took a rubber tent and an interpreter and he went to India to that tribe outside the village and as he was trying to enter, those headhunters came and told, you cannot enter. If you enter, we will chop your head. Because they thought he was the spy of the British. British was trying to do some harm to the tribal people during that time. So they thought he's a spy of the British. So they didn't allow him. So he stayed outside the village for several days. He was not going anywhere. With his interpreter, he was staying there. So these headhunters came out and they saw this man was not leaving anymore, anymore. And then they thought, this man must be someone uh, who is for us not against us so there was a man who compassionately invited uh, bronson and his interpreter and so he went there and he started a small school for the children and it took 20 years for him to baptize 15 people all that he did was not just giving the light to them to shine, but he's telling them to burn, be a burning light so that they can be contagious to others. Now, what happened? It took 15 years for him, I mean, it took 20 years for him to baptize 15 people. Right after that, everyone who received the gospel light began to shine among their own people. As a result, today, more than 90% of the tribe has come to know Jesus Christ. Today, if there is any state in India which is predominantly Christian, that is Nagaland. And in fact, Nagaland is known as the only predominantly Baptist state in the whole world. That is in India. That is because of someone who was willing to hold his light so high. He didn't hold it for himself, but he waited outside the village, and he suffered, he burned. I mean, he was literally suffering the bites of the mosquitoes and the wild animals. Because, you know, Nagaland, it's all forest area. He was literally shining in the forest there. And today, the whole state is Christian. third be on Christ's mission you know like i said a christian is one who follows jesus on his mission come to first john chapter 2 verse 6 where we read anyone who says he's a christian now this is from the living translation anyone who says he's a christian should live as christ did A couple of years ago, I was preparing to teach a perspective lesson. I wanted to really put together three years of Jesus' ministry in a chronological order. So as I was going through the four books of the um, Gospels, four gospels and I was trying to see how Jesus was navigating his vision and I saw he lived with one purpose in his mind which we see in John chapter 4 verse 34 Jesus said my food is to do the will of the father who sent me and to finish his work. That is the only purpose that he had come into the world. You see that throughout the miracles that he performed, throughout the teachings that he taught, throughout the conversations that he had, only one thing that consumed his life was the vision of the Father, the Father who sent him to go and save the world. Then what did Jesus do when he called us? He said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. That is what Jesus said in John chapter 20, verse 21. He was saying, in other words, I was gripped by a special purpose from the Father. So I passed that purpose on to you. Go and make disciples of all nations. And Jesus said, I will be with you. I'm not just sending you alone. I will be with you. What are we afraid of? Who are we afraid of when we wanted to do his purpose? Jesus never said, you go and do, because I give you authority, I will watch from above. He did not say that. I have given you the authority, and you will do much more than what I have done, but guess what, I will be with you. What a promise, man. What are we missing here? Recently, I was in India. I visited a car accessory store uh, to fix uh, our ministry vehicle. You know, you know. probably Nick knows me more than anybody else. I bargained too much. So this lady, who was the owner of the store, almost hated me. And she does not want to even look at me because I was bargaining for every item I was buying. As I was leaving the store, the Lord said, why are you leaving? You haven't finished your job. I said, Lord, what? Have you talked to her about me? I said, well, look like she's enjoying life, making a lot of money. I don't know whether she needs you. And the Lord said, no, 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 you just go. Lord, there is no way I can even talk. If I go there, she'll be scared. He said, no, you just go. I will give you the word. So I went to her. And as soon as I went, sir, you want more discount? No, 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 I don't want more discount. I just came here <laughs> for some other you know, purpose. And she said, what? I said, would you tell me about your family? She said, you want to know about my family? For what? No, I just wanted to know, how is your family? Just, do you have a f- husband and do you have children? Or, I just wanted to know. She was quiet. Then she bent her head down and as I was watching her not answering and I saw on the table the drops of tears. I said, what happened? She said, I've been married for six years. I don't have children. And my mother-in-law is forcing my husband to divorce. I don't know when that will happen. I don't have father. I don't have mother. In fact, I'm hurting inside. And there was no one, there was no one ever asked me, about my family. You are the only one. I actually misunderstood you. I thought you were full of darkness. You wanted discount on everything and you know this, this. <laughs> but literally, I'm touched the way you asked. And I told her, in fact, I have come to this store not to spend all this money on the vehicle, but purely for this purpose. This is all main, and the bonuses, the accessories. And I told her, do you know what happened yesterday? She said, I don't. Yesterday was Good Friday. You know what happened in the history? Yesterday, Jesus went onto the cross for two things. One, that he can give you life in heaven, One, he can give you life on earth. And he can change your life. And I said, you have all these gods hanging in your office. I don't care whether they hang or not because they have no life at all. But if you wanted to turn to someone who is alive, here is a chance. And in fact, he sent me here to talk about this, not about all that we have known. discussion and debates about the cost of the accessories. She cried, and there were other customers. She said, please, store is closed. You can leave. She sat there with me, and she prayed with me at the end, and I asked her, if you want to receive Jesus, here is your time. This is the best thing I can do for you rather than giving you all the money you asked for, accessories. You have to live by the standard that you have in Christ, not by the standard that you have in the world. When John started off his ministry in the wilderness, some people thought John had a demon, you know that? People thought he was a demon possessed, which is in the Bible. They thought he had a demon because he was eating locusts and wild honey. Some rejected his message. But John did not stop introducing, attesting, and pointing to Jesus that for which he has come. He did not stop doing his work as a result in Mark chapter one verse five we read people went out to him to john from jerusalem from all judea and the whole region of jordan confessing their sin what a powerful word there was an opposition at the beginning and then john did not stop what he was doing because that was his missional identity and now we read people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan confessing their sin and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. What a reformation that he brought in that land after 450 years of silence. Now you may be thinking you have come too far from faith since the industrialization began in this country probably 1800s. It is just what? 100 years or 200 years, that's it. Faith has not gone from this country. Now you don't try to adjust yourself to the cultural precepts, but you have to go and change the way the culture has been portraying things around you or for you. You have to go and still call sin, sin, and ask them to confess. And well, John did not attract all these people with his appearance. You know, he had the leather kind of clothing. Very horrible hair. (laughs) He didn't have eloquent speech, rough speech. But people came to him because of his conviction about the truth. Because of his passion to turn people to God. You know, you, you know, if I tell somebody, hey, Dr. Paul is a good pediatrician. You can try. He's, I think he's a good. That is not the way to introduce about Paul. You should say, I know Paul, I've been there. He was an excellent pediatrician. That is how you say don't you? Or you'll say, that is a good doctor. You can try it. You don't say that. You have to say anything with conviction and passion so that people will know that what you say is true. But today, we do not preach the gospel out of conviction. When Gordon Fee saw the dangers of theological scholarship that destroyed the theological zeal or Christian zeal of witness, he said, better a fool on fire than a scholar on ice. Better a fool on fire than a scholar. We know so much theology. We know very well, but we don't know how to passionately talk about it. That's the problem. Today I go and talk to people, even rich, poor, or officials. I'll tell, brother, you need Jesus. And this, what really? Of course. And this he why is he saying with authority? That is where. People pay attention. You go mildly put it in, brother, you can try this. You know, Jesus is real. I'm like, oh, well, I heard someone went and said, brother, Jesus died for us. Then he said, I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> like, they have no idea what you're saying. Because you just go and say that Jesus died for you. I said, I'm really sorry to hear that. I mean, because they don't know what is in your mind, the world does not know. You think that they know exactly what you know. You have to go and unfold it with passion and compassion for them. But God in fear at the end, he said, because we know the truth so well, we don't have to be a scholar on ice or a fool on fire. We can be a scholar on fire. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 20, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, gave us the ministry. Gave the church the ministry of reconciliation. Means you have to call the people of the world and reconcile them to the world through Jesus Christ. And then he says, therefore, we are the ambassadors for Christ. So the hardest thing of being a Christian is to be an ambassador. It is the hardest thing, I know. I was not comfortable at the beginning. Now it has become a lifestyle for me to live as an ambassador. And again, to be an ambassador does not mean you have to go out and give a fine gospel presentation. No. Don't you ever think that being an ambassador means you have to be so well equipped with eloquent language and theological jargons to go and convince people about the gospel. No, that is never. All that you need to do is just show your obedience. Your obedience matters to God, then your excellence. But today we are not obedient in the first place and we are looking for excellence. You think that you'll be more obedient when you'll be excellent in your presentation, when you'll be very equipped to present the gospel. No, it'll never happen. It is the obedience that comes at the beginning. Excellence is up to God. God can use a fool like John the Baptist, who never did any miracles, who never prophesied, who never did anything in 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 a soft way, but God still used the whole of Judea, Jerusalem, all of those areas turned to him. You know, this man, E.P. Scott, was a missionary to India during the 1800s. You know, when he went there, he felt incompetent because everybody else, all the other American missionaries were eloquent in the local language. But this man had a problem in learning the language. All that he can do is he can play a violin so well. So he mastered several, several songs, Christian songs, And he began to, I mean, there are local songs also, and began to play and sing also in the local language. One day, he saw a man of strange appearance on the street and asked him where he belonged. And he told him that he belonged to a wild mountain tribe. He asked him whether he had ever heard about Jesus. And the tribal man said, I don't know anything about Jesus. When he said that, this Scott was gripped by passion and compassion. He went home and prayed, Lord, can I go to that mountain tribe? Because other missionaries are not willing to go. Because they will kill people. And then he went and asked other missionaries. Is it okay to go and try there? They said, no, you should not go there. But he decided, I will still go. I don't know the language, but at least I will show the signs and then start preaching Jesus. So he went there with his violin and as soon as he went there, people surrounded him with uh, spears at his heart and he was right there. He doesn't know what to do and he was thinking that he made a mistake by not listening to his fellow American missionaries. So he went on his knees and began to play all hail the power of Jesus name and sing along in the native language. And he thought, I can sing at least one stanza before I die. And he closed his eyes, and he began to sing. He continued on to second one, third, and fourth, and he still realized he was alive. (laughs) Oh, am I breathing still? And so he slowly opened his eyes, and he saw every spear lowered, every eye filled with tears. And they said come to our house, come to our houses and share about that Jesus. Well, he was there for two years, and the whole village came to Jesus. So it is your obedience, not your excellence. It is not your language, jargons that will convince anybody, not your intelligence, not your theology. It is your obedience. Doesn't matter whether you have training or not. And in fact, I did a better job with evangelism than after getting PhD. In fact, I lost some passion after getting PhD. I'm not saying that will harm, but I'm saying you are better off like John the Baptist when you think you are inadequate. This is what John Wesley said. If I had 300 men who feared nothing but God, hated nothing but sin, and would determine to know nothing among men but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I would set the entire world on fire. He's just looking for 300 men. How are we? We are more than 300 today. 300 men or women or children who fear nothing but God, hate nothing but sin, and determine to know nothing among men but Jesus Christ and him crucified, and you can go and lift the whole world with this burning light, and the whole world will turn to the one who has created the world. Shall we close our eyes? Lord, today you remind us again to live out our missional identity like John the Baptist had done. He was an ambassador for you, Lord, and you honored it. He was given temptations to be the Messiah, to represent as Elijah, or to show as if he's the greatest prophet, although he was known as the greatest prophet. But Lord, he was humble enough to be the ambassador of God, you used him, Lord. God, today we fail. We utterly fail to be available to you. We have other excuses. We have other things to blame rather than our self-centeredness, our pride. Lord, our inadequacies, the the human standard inadequacies. Lord, I just pray that if any one of us going through the fear going through the fear of losing dignity when they talk about you, Lord. I just pray, you will strengthen them. God, this life, Lord, it is temporary, and this dignity is temporary. This self-esteem is temporary, Lord. Help us to understand that whatever we Introduce about eternity. That is what we will live by. We will exist by, Lord, even after our death. Lord, give us that kind of understanding so that we will follow you and make others follow you and turn them to God. Lord, help us to pointing out to Jesus. Lord, thank you for talking to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.